magic to it. When I'm at Ramah, I am home. We're here with Arlene Rems, who recently retired after a distinguished 20-year career um, as executive director at Gateways, Access to Jewish Education in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, in her work at Gateways, I know this program very well, in her work at Gateways, she spearheaded efforts to include Jewish students with disabilities in every type of Jewish educational setting, um, including day schools and congregational schools and community schools. Um, Arlene and her husband Sandy and their children have deep roots at Camp Ramah in New England. Um, Arlene and Sandy, as I'm sure Arlene will tell us, um, they go way back to the TICFA program at Ramah New England. Um, and I've been lucky to uh, be connected to Arlene for many, many years and to know her work in um, Jewish special education. It's really my pleasure to welcome Arlene Rems. Um, so thank you, Arlene. Um, I, I think we should just start with hearing your Ramah story. Like, tell us about when did you go to Ramah and what was your involvement there? And then we can take it from there. Sure, thanks, Howard. So my Ramah story actually begins in 1970. Um, I started going to Camp Ramah in New England um, as, at the time it was called Junior LTF, but it was uh, now known as Mahon, uh, which is rather late to start camp. Um, and it was, a, it was a very different era then, as a very different time at camp. But one of the things that was most um, special about camp at that point was that it was so service oriented. We did community service projects. So RADA went out of camp two, two afternoons a week to do service projects. And I and about a third of the ADA went to Belchertown State School, um, which is about 20 minutes away, um, to volunteer with the children with disabilities. Um, Belchertown no longer exists. It's, you know, it's from the era of large institutions. But for me, the experience of going and um, volunteering with Bobby O'Malley, a 10-year-old with Down syndrome, who today would, no one would ever think about a child like that living in an institution. But in 1970, children with Down syndrome were very often institutionalized by their parents soon after birth. And two afternoons a week, all summer long, I hung out with Bobby O'Malley. And I remember writing his parents at the end of the summer and hearing back from them. I mean, they were this lovely family, but they institutionalized their child. But something in that experience sparked my interest in special education. So then a few years later, I go off to college, went to Clark University, and I studied psychology and special ed. And throughout my years at Clark, I volunteered in different special education settings. Graduated in 1977 and um, went back to camp as a counselor in the TICFA program. Um, now, you have to realize 1977, TICFA was only seven years old. It had been started by Herb and Barbara Greenberg in, the in 1970, so it was still a very young program. It was a radical program. I mean, the, the special, National Special Education Law, IDEA, was not established uh, until 1976. So Ramah was so ahead of the curve. So here I was ready to start a career in special ed um, and was with this incredible staff, uh, many of whom are people who continued on in the field. Uh, Ralph Schwartz was uh, on the st staff. He's now the director of special needs programming 
in Wisconsin, I think. Um, but we had an incredible staff. All of us were college graduates. I mean, this was not, that, that's another big change at camp. Um, staff skewed older, but particularly TICFA, no one was uh, any younger than a college graduate. And most of us were going, uh, were just starting our careers in the field or were going to school um, in special ed or in psychology or neurology or things like that. Um, I, as Howard mentioned, I met my husband that summer. He was also on the TICFA staff, but he was one of the people not going on in, uh, into the world of special education. He was in law school and wanted to do something non-legal for the last time in his life, uh, professional life. And uh, he had always wanted to go back to camp. He had been a camper at, in Berkshires just for one year and um, wanted to come back to camp. And his neighbor, Steve Shulman, um, Rabbi Steve Shulman, uh, who was going to be a counselor along with his brother, Rich Shulman, invited him to uh, consider applying to be a, a counselor. And they always needed more male counselors than female counselors. Female counselors in Tikva at that time, there was a long waiting list of people that wanted to do it. But uh, for male counselors here, they, they took a second year law student. Um, but anyways, uh, that's where Sandy and I met. But that that summer was transformational for me and really, I think, established my, my perspective on how you really could make sure to include campers or people with disabilities in the life of a camp. And true, at that time, TICFA was much more um, separate in terms of being a separate ADA, the idea of inclusion that we now have in camp, we didn't have that then. Anybody with disabilities was in full-time in Amitzim, in, in the, in the um, TICFA program. It was the, the TICFA ADA. But they were so much, we were so much part of the life of the camp that that's what always stuck with me. How by having a, a program like Tikva in a, a vibrant Jewish communal setting, it can impact every single person in the camp. Every person in the Tikva program was impacted, but everyone else in the camp was because everybody knew all of the Tikva kids. It, it was just part of the camp. Um, so, you know, I was a counselor for um, six or eight campers with pretty significant needs. Um, but at the time, there were also, an, an, there, there were six bunks, of, it was a large program at the time. I think there were, there were six bunks of six each, six or seven kids each. So it was a pretty large program. And though my bunk was the kids with the much more significant disabilities, um, Sandy's bunk, for example, was kids with much milder disabilities that today absolutely would have been in an inclusion program. They would not have been in, a subs in, a, in, a, in the Amitsim program. But in 1977, the, the, the full TICFA model was all that existed. When I left camp that summer, after I left camp that summer, I, I often tell the story that that's when my two, the two paths in my life sort of separated. So in 1977, at Camp Ramah, in the TICFA program, 
special ed and Jewish life were my Jewish life and my and my Jewish work were totally integrated. And I left camp and I my life took two parallel paths. As a professional, I went into special ed. I first taught special ed for two years uh, at the Brandon School in Natick, Mass. And then I moved to New York and taught for two years at the Summit School. And um, then I, for um, the next 16 years, I was involved in, I, I worked at Education Development Center, EDC, working on research projects having to do with special education um, funded by the Office of Special Education Programs of the Department of Ed, U.S. Department of Ed. So I was, you know, I was special ed all the way professionally. At the same time, I was always involved in the Jewish community um, in, uh, as a lay leader. I was um, on the board and eventually was the president of Solomon Schechter Day School of Greater Boston. And then um, when I finished my presidency of Schechter in around 2001, um, I had an opportunity for sort of these two paths to come together. Um, I, and so in, in 2001 or 2000, I joined the board of Etgar Lenoir, which was a very small grassroots uh, startup um, basically a Hebrew school for kids with more significant disabilities, the kinds of kids who were not getting a Jewish education at all in our community because of the extent of their disabilities. And so Edgar Lenoir had started already, um, but I joined the board when I finished my presidency of Schechter. And within a year, um, my work at EDC, uh, which I've been going on for 16 years, the funding, uh, the Department of Ed funding ended uh, suddenly, and I um, found myself without a job. Uh, I was actually sort of happily unemployed and, and had all these ideas of projects I wanted to do. And the other people on the board of Edgar Lenoir came to me and said, we hear you're no longer working. Would you consider becoming the executive director? And really, it was a wonderful opportunity for me and, a, frankly, a very good situation for them because I had both the special ed experience, but I also had the lay leadership and, and uh, volunteer experience. So I knew development and I also knew how to manage projects because of all the work I had done at EDC. So I brought the, the management, I brought the, the ability to fundraise, I brought, the, and I brought the passion and I brought a background in special ed. So in 2001, I became the executive director of Tiny Little Edgar Lenoir. Budget was under $100,000. The office was right here in this <laughs> alcove that I am now sitting in, um, the, as I finally called it, the alcove outside my bedroom. Um, and basically, basically, I did everything. I was the executive director. I was the substitute teacher. I was the volunteer coordinator. Um, I trained the volunteers. I picked up the bagels and cream cheese every week. I went to the program every week. And we had a, a just a absolutely wonderful Hebrew school program um, for kids with, with disabilities. And we added a B'nai Mitzvah program um, soon thereafter. Um, and then uh, started a mitzvah, what we call Mitzvah Menches, which was uh, a, uh, a teen a teen program focused on Sadaka. Around 
2005, 2006, um, there was a very large donation to the day schools in Jewish Boston, um, the, jo the Boston Jewish community called the Peerless Excellence Grant. And um, originally, none of the funding was for anything having to do with kids with learning differences. Some of us in the special ed community um, gathered together in a task force and um, basically came up with a proposal to the, at the time, anonymous donors um, about using some of this substantial funding for special ed in the day schools. Now, remember, I at the time was the executive director of Edgar Lenoir, which was a substantially separate Hebrew school program for kids with severe disabilities, moderate to severe disabilities. Um, but my vision was really linked right back to my Tikva experience, which was a school within a school. The Tikva Eidah within the life of the camp. To have the opportunity for the kinds of kids that were in my Sunday program and my B'nai Mitzvah program and at Garla Noir, many of them were from families who wanted day school and had their child not had a disability, they would have been a day school student. So I wanted to provide that kind of opportunity for those kids, for my Edgar Lenoir kids and kids like that, to be able to go to a Jewish day school and to be part of the life of a day school is the same as I remember the feeling of the, the kids in Tikva being part of the life of the camp. So as part of this proposal to the anonymous peerless excellence donors, I basically created a proposal to do a school within a school for kids with more significant disabilities to be able to be in a day school. At the same time, there was another Jewish organization, another small startup called the Jewish Special Ed Collaborative, which was providing speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, learning support, reading support, behavioral support, some professional development in day schools. They wanted to expand their services. They were only working in a small number of day schools and they had very limited infrastructure. So they, they participated in this proposal as well. And there was also some other parts, including professional development. And it, make a long story short, we submitted the proposal to the anonymous donors and the Ruderman Family Foundation, who turned out were one of the three anonymous donor families. It captured their imagination. They funded the overall grant, which included um, uh, Edgar Lenoir developing a school within a school and JSEC establish, uh, expanding their infrastructure to be able to grow across the community and to make an even longer story short, we decided that rather than continuing as two separate organizations, if the two of us could merge, we could then um, just grow so much more, serve more, you know, and not compete with each other. Because frankly, would, we would have started competing with each other for resource, resources for personnel. And we felt that you know, one plus one would not equal two, one plus one would equal 10. And that's what in fact happened. So Edgar Lenauer and JSEC merged in 2006 to become Gateways Access to Jewish Education. And I was the founding executive director. It's such an amazing story. I mean, I, I so feel lucky to have sort of, <laughs> no, I feel lucky to have kind of watched it for more than that, a decade or more. Um, and I've, I mean, Arlene, I've said this to you many times that to me, this is really, it's a true model program. And I guess a question that I have, you know, people will be listening from other parts of, um, of you know, of America, especially, 
Um, how, you know, how is it possible? I mean, you know, how, how, can, how can communities come together and provide something that's so, um, you know, all-encompassing? I mean, I, I think there's, there's the inclusive part, there's the teen part, there's the day school. There, there, it's not just one model. You know, one of the things that we've, um, you know, you've been watching TIFFA all these years, but we've, we've been very proud that, um, you know, TIFFA exists in, uh, in 10 overnight camps, in three-day camps. Um, if you fast forward from what you saw in 1970, um, when Rabbi Sarah Shulman and her board started Ramah NorCal about five years ago, they didn't want to even open their doors without people with disabilities in their community. That was a, that was a core value. And, and there's not just one model. You know, there are many, there, there's many, many different um, approaches. Some people are, are more separate, some are fully included, some go be between programs, some have go from being fully included to vocational training. And, and you really succeeded in having everything uh, under one roof in one community, um, some in day schools, supported in day schools. And I wonder what the, um, you know, what, what can gateways, um, you know, tell people in other communities um, as the key to pulling it off? If, if there is, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of hard work and a lot of, you know, and can you whittle it down to some pieces of advice for other communities? You know, I think what is unique about Gateways is that um, we are collaborating together. Gateways on its own isn't that much. If, if it's only what Gateways itself does, we're not able to do very much on our own. Our strength is that we collaborate with Jewish educational organizations across the community. So let's talk about day schools. The students that we support in the day schools, they are students of their day school, you know, but we partner with the day schools to provide services above and beyond what the day schools themselves can do. We're not taking over their special ed services. We're not supplanting anything. We're saying to the day school, what are you not able to provide? What, what, what might we as a regional agency that can have a flexible team of therapists and specialists that can come into your school and work with students and work with teachers flexibly, what can we do above and beyond what you can do so that together we can broaden the envelope of who can be served in each of the day schools. So we, work, we provide direct student services um, in maybe 10 of the Jewish day schools in Boston. Again, that's speech therapy, occupational therapy, learning support, reading support. We provide professional development um, to teachers throughout those schools so that they're able to better serve a wider range of students. So again, everything we do in the day schools is totally in collaboration with the day schools. And we see them as partners, not as competitors. Likewise, in the congregational schools, um, we do a lot of professional development and support of, of teachers and of um, madrichin, teen aides um, in the congregational schools. But we offer a Hebrew school program, a regional Hebrew school program for the kids for whom being included in their own Hebrew school does not work. So we're sort of a regional safety net. Now, there are some people who are more strict inclusionists that will say, you should not have a separate program. It's wrong to have a separate Sunday program. And what I say to them is, 
um, you know, again, I learned from my TICFA experience, I'm not a strict inclusionist. Um, I, I want everyone to have access. Every family should have access and should have choices. And in some cases, there might be two kids that are very, very similar. But the what the family wants for a Jewish education for their child might be very different. So there might be a child for whom the parent really wants them to develop their skills in Jewish practices. Th that's what's really, really important. And the setting that we offer, our Sunday program, where we have a small number of students, everyone has a one-on-one -on -one trained team volunteer who get very intensive training. We have a completely adapted curriculum, modified curriculum um, that is, that is uh, sometimes individualized for every single child by um, a brilliant team of teachers. Um, and I have to do a particular shout out to Rebecca Redner, uh, one of our, our longest uh, time teacher who also had started as a teen volunteer, who is the most skilled teacher in terms of, of being able to work with children with the widest range of needs. Um, so um, in our Sunday program, students will be able to really develop, develop their skills to their best of their ability. And they're also um, able to socialize in a, an environment that is highly supportive, um, other kids with disabilities, but facilitated by having a cadre of teen volunteers that really facilitate the social skills and social integration. But it's separate. And for many families, that really works. At the same time, there might be a, a, a child with very similar needs whose family feels that what is most important is that my child goes to Hebrew school the same place as his or her older or younger siblings go. And even if he spends most of the time, you know, just one-on-one -on -one with his aide in the hallway, you know, and maybe he doesn't really access what's being discussed, you know, about the Parsha in the class, that's okay. I want him to be in the building with everyone else. And we don't look, and I think this is key, we don't look at that as competition. If a child leaves our program because or never comes to our program because the family wants them to be in their home synagogue program, that's great. As long as they're getting and participating in a Jewish educational setting. But if our program is, works better, then we exist so that there will be an opportunity for every child in our community to be able to access a Jewish education. Now, truthfully, over the last 20 years since I've been involved, our program has gotten much smaller in size. There was a point where we had 45 kids in our Sunday program. We had eight classes filled with, of kids. We had, I think, 75 teen volunteers. It was humongous. Over the years, as the synagogues have gotten better at including the kids in their own congregational schools, and much of it is because of the professional development work that we've done through the years, but a lot of it is because of the attitude change. Um, which also we've been very in, involved in helping that change that yes, kids with disabilities should and can access a Jewish education in a congregational school. As that change has happened, more and more kids are staying in their congregational schools and not coming to our separate program, but that's okay. Kids now have a place and families have choice.
So, um, as I said, the, we have the, uh, our work in congregational schools is professional development. Um, our, we have our Sunday program, we have our B'nai Mitzvah program. We have our, a very extensive teen volunteer program. Again, it's not as big as it was in the years when we had 45 kids and needed um, many more teen volunteers, but still we have a, a very robust training program for the kids. They get weekly training um, by a highly skilled um, uh, professional and they work one-on-one -on -one with their students um, or they work as floaters in the classroom. And what I often say is that um, the experience of being a teen volunteer you know, changes all of the kids. Um, some of them are, are inspired to go on in the field. I mentioned Rebecca Redner before. She was a teen volunteer first. And I have a, there are quite a few um, students, uh, teens who, because of their experience, went on in, in special ed or related fields. Um, but there are others who go on into totally different fields, and um, but their experience sticks with them and helps make them the, uh, the menschy adults that they are. All three of my kids were teen volunteers and, in a, and had an impact on, all the, on their lives and their life choices. Um, kids. Yeah, no, I'm, when I'm listening to you, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm smiling and I'm nodding because I think that so much of the story of, of Gateways and, and Rama uh, is similar, that you know, we've also... Um, so I, I came toward that next generation after you. I came to Romano in 1984. Um, I also still hear the voice of our mentors and founders, you know, Herbie Barbara Greenberg, um, in my head uh, a lot of the time. And uh, I, thank God they're alive and well. They live in Renana after many years at uh, making Aliyah. And um, I, I think that, you know, things have really continued to um, evolve in camp. You know, you, you've continued to stay connected to camp, and in certain ways, it doesn't look the same as when, when you were there in the 1970s. When, when we, when I came in 2001 to, to direct Tikva after the Greenbergs made Aliyah, and some people started asking us if we ever heard of this thing called inclusion, and we, we'd be willing to, and of course, we'd heard about it in schools, but never in overnight camping. And this was really new for us, and we were really, there was no literature to guide us. And sort of to your point, um, I think half of the parents of kids with disabilities said, you know, if it's not inclusive, I don't want to be part of it. And the other half said, don't even think about putting my kid in that program. It's going to just raise their anxiety level right. and they're not going to have any real friends. And, and we decided, much like you did, to not say this is right, this is wrong, to right. say Let, let's look at, let's individualize the program. And, and, and that, that's been really a wonderful part. And we've had campers who've gone fully front through TICFA with, you know, participating in camp wide activities with friends from all over camp who never were sleeping in a typical bunk. And then we had kids who, were, who never interfaced with Tikva, And those were all success stories, uh, we think. Um, I mean, Arlene, you've been a real friend of, of camp. You've been, um, you've, you've been kind to share staff members and you've referred families. It's been a really good um, partnership. Um, what was your involvement, what's been your involvement with camp, you know, after, you know, formally and informally, I think your kids grew up in camp and, I know that your husband was involved. Tell us about, bring us up to date yeah. with your involvement. Yeah, so um, it, camp has continued to play a really important role throughout, my, uh, throughout our lives. Um, you know, we, there was a, a brief period between 1977 and um, until our, our oldest daughter, Tamar, was ready to start camp that we were not 
involved with camp. But once she started to go to camp, um, we re we reinvolved in in camp life. Um, my husband Sandy joined the board of uh, Camp Vermont New England. Can't remember what year, um, but he served on the board for many years um, and. Th during some challenging years of Vermont, um, um, Sandy became the president. Um, he hired Ed Gelb. Um, Ed's first visit to um, to Boston, he stayed at our house. He stayed in Adina's bedroom, which had plastered on the mirror all her pictures of camp. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember that. Um, but because Sandy was so involved with on the board and as president for so many years, I started, uh, we started going for at least one Shabbat each summer, um, spending this, the, the Shabbat at camp. And so that really reintroduced me into the life of camp. Um, and of course, when it came time to pick where we we're going to dive in on Shabbat morning, I automatically would go and dive in with Tikva and hang out with the Tikva uh, with Amitzim um, for the afternoon. Um, and that's when I really got to know you, Howard, and we started our conversations about the field and the changes in the field and the challenges of moving towards inclusion. And um, so I, f I feel like, you know, for those many years, I still had a, a really direct window into. In, into the Tikva program, and as you mentioned, I also brought a number of of my Etgar and Gateways families to uh, to the program. So many summers, I would escort one or more parents to come on a visit because I just felt it would be easier for them if I could introduce them to camp and to Howard and help take them around. But eventually, um, they started referring each other, so I didn't need to be as directly involved in bringing them. But we had some incredible success stories of kids who were uh, who had grown up through my program, who then went to camp and were there for many, many years, and um, really valued that partnership. The other window I've had into camp um, is that um, I have a very close group of of women friends that we call the Imahot, um, who are women who uh, mostly women who were who worked on staff for many years at camp. The years that Sandy was um, president on the board and president, and I was spending one Shabbat a summer. Um, there was a group of women who were themselves living at camp and leading Rikud. Lorraine, Ar Lorraine Arcus and Rena Sloven and Art, Anita Rabinoff Goldman and Bonnie Kramer and Boked, Linda Stanger. Um, and by starting with names, I'm afraid I'm leaving people off. Noreen, Le Noreen Leibson and, um, <laughs> and Miriam um, Rodman coming from, Miriam, sorry, Miriam Lawford coming from Israel. All these women were living in camp that summer, and those were the people who I gravitated to. And oh, of course, and Erica Silverman uh, as the business manager. So they were all at camp um, during the summers. And so when I came to camp, you know, as the spouse of the president, 
um, I got to hang out with this wonderful group of women and we have continued a deep, deep friendship to this day. And I have my most active WhatsApp group other than my uh, family one. And it's probably acti actually more active than my family one is the Imahot. Um, and all of <laughs> whom have very deep um, family connections to Ramah. And I, I remember, um, you know, I got to play tennis with your husband when we would come to camp. And, and you're, I, I still remember, as if it was yesterday, I remember when your son um, wanted, to, when he was a, a bar mitzvah student, right? I believe he wanted, he was a camper. And he had approached me about donating money um, for something we needed, which was a new Tikva Sidor. And we, we still have, I still have old copies where there's a, 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 a you're showing me that. I, I just cleaned out my office from work. <laughs> Beautiful. And... Um, <laughs> You know something, this is actually, you know something, this is actually not his edition. This is the next one. Oh, it's like the blue cover one. I, I have that, the SD, yeah. This is the S.D. Martin teen volunteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we have, um, you know, he donated um, money from his bar mitzvah for right. many copies of the Sidor. Right. I know that your, one of your daughters was a CIT. We had, you know, the, so it really went from, from generation to generation. And we're, we're so appreciative. Um, so I, I know, you know, I guess as we kind of conclude pretty soon, you're now, all of this is behind. You've just, um, your retirement had been announced. Nobody wanted to believe it. And now it's official. So um, I guess if you could, you know, maybe, maybe two things, if you could tell us kind of what, what you see coming down the pike for you um, going forward, now that uh, this one chapter is the formal chapter of running Gateways is behind. And um, I know there's very, very competent leadership who's, um, taking the ball and going to the next generation. But what, what do we still have to do um, in our field? Like if you were um, kind of giving advice to, to Roma or to the Jewish disability inclusion field, um, what do we still have to do? You know, we're 50 years into Tikva, right. but we're, we're still evolving. So what do you see coming next? You know, these are, there's some really uncharted times ahead. Um, you know, I, I retired at a, at a challenging time, I never expected that the last four months of my tenure as executive director of Gateways would be, you know, back in the alcove outside my bedroom, which was my original office. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty ahead, but uncertainty also brings opportunities. And, you know, as we've been talking and I'm thinking back on, you know, the models that existed 40 years ago, 1977, when I started with the TICFA program, the model that existed then is not the model that we have today. And it's because we had open minds and could think flexibly and openly and collaboratively, listening to both professionals and to parents and to campers and to kids and observing and observing the trends in the, in the, in the world outside of the Jewish community. So what will lie ahead? We don't know exactly what will, but, and there are different circumstances, you know, this rise of, of virtual learning that was made absolutely necessary because of the past four months, not being able to meet in person and, you know, for the, and for the foreseeable future, we don't know what's ahead, but it's pushed us to think about how can we take advantage of virtual environments in ways that, you know, even a year ago would have been unimaginable. It's pushed us to do things that maybe we brainstormed, oh, someday we'll have a, a 
you know, job training across platform, across communities, you know, voc-ed across communities. Someday, maybe we'll figure out how we can, you know, socially integrate people across different camps or across different adults. But they weren't as possible when we were meeting in person or they, they weren't as much of a priority. Having new priorities, new realities pushes you to think about new things. And, you know, I hope that when we look back on this era years from now, we'll say this, this pushed us to do things really creatively. And we, we came up with ideas and ways of thinking, ways of working, different models that, you know, a year or two ago, we never would have thought of. So I guess my advice is to stay flexible, stay open, but take advantage of opportunities. And also take advantage of the incredible network of people that have, um, have come through our different organizations, that have come through TICFA New England, could have come through national TICFA. When I think about the people in the field now, I mean, and see how many of them have roots in Ramah, it's really amazing. And, when I, and I look across the, the different Ramah TICFA programs and I recognize colleagues that I'm working with in the inclusion field in schools, in Jewish schools. So I think um, despite the challenges that lay ahead, there are many opportunities that can lay ahead as well. I had been planning all along to retire um, the summer that I turned 65, and which is why I retired on July 1st. Um, I am very excited about the new leadership of Gateways. That Our new CEO is Tamar Davis-Galper, and I feel tremendous confidence in and passing on the reins of, of leadership of this wonderful organization to her. Um, what, when people ask what I'm going to do next, I say, I imagine that at some point in time, I'll get involved in some projects, either as a lay leader or as some kind of consultant or coach. But I'm not planning exactly how to do that right now. I want to take some time to just relax. <laughs> to not have the, the, the burden and the responsibility of leadership of an organization um, on my shoulders. And, you know, but I'll, as I always have, have my eyes open to opportunities. I mean, had I not had my eyes op open to opportunities, you know, I wouldn't have joined Edgar Lenore as the executive director. As I, had I not been open to opportunities, we never would have merged at Garland Noir and the Jewish Special Ed Collaborative. I mean, we, it, it was, you know, an opportunity that I was able to sort of turn into a merger. Um, so I know, I'm confident that in the years ahead, there'll be opportunities where I can say, you know, I can make a difference here. You know, I can, this is something that, that speaks to my heart and I want to get involved in. And whether I do it as a lay leader or as a part-time professional, because I have no intention of going back to work full-time, um, but as a part-time consultant, um, I know there'll be some interesting opportunities ahead. And as always, Howard, you know, I look forward to, uh, if there's opportunities where you and I could collaborate, Fantastic. you know, you have <laughs> been a thought partner, a friend, a colleague, a thought partner for 
close to 20 years now. And so, um, you know, I'd love to work on projects with you. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I'd love to go back to my roots with Ramah. If there's opportunities at Ramah, New England, you know, uh, or elsewhere, or Ramah, Israel, even better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you guys are always part of the Ramah family. And I really thank you for speaking with us. And um, we'll, talk, we'll talk soon. And for now, just uh, enjoy relaxing. Get, hopefully, you'll soon get to see kids and grandkids and be in Israel and all those great things. And um, be healthy and be well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shalom. And thank you for tuning in to Kol Baramah. If you're looking for more information about Camp Ramah overnight and day camps, Israel programs, year-round events, and virtual offerings, please visit our website at www.camprama.org. Mm-hmm.